Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez and today I'm here with Stephanie Holt. ¿Lo dije bien? Yes, good. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing good, Miguel. Thank you I'm very much. I'm so happy that you're here. Finally. Yes, finally. Thank I you know. so much for not giving up on me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, for our friends that are listening, guys, today uh, we have Stephanie. Stephanie works in a program. Can we call it program or mission? Yeah. Or yeah. what is this? What is Mission 21? Mission 21. How can you describe it? I'll let you know uh, what Mission 21 is. Mission 21 is... Well, I mean, what is Mission 21? Is that a program? Is it a dream? Is a, tell me. It is a private nonprofit here okay. in southeast Minnesota, and uh, we are an anti-trafficking service provider for the state. Okay. Yeah. Are you telling me there is a human trafficking in Minnesota? There is human trafficking in Minnesota. Actually, when I started Mission 21 six years ago in 2010, I, uh, like a lot of people, did not know that human trafficking and let alone sex trafficking was happening um, anywhere in the United States. And I knew, like a lot of people, that sex trafficking was happening in other countries like India and Thailand and places like in Central America and South America. But I could never imagine that something like this, something so horrible, could be happening within our own country. And so it was very surprising to me when I learned about this issue being so prevalent in the United States. Um, one of the statistics that was really shocking to me about sex trafficking was that there are over 100,000 American kids who are affected by sex trafficking every year in America. <coughs> and the average age of entry into the sex trade is 12 to 14 years old. So when I learned about that, I was in complete shock. I was very overwhelmed with the information and to be honest, I didn't really know what I could do. So <coughs> that's that's how all of this started, was just being informed, like you're informing people mm -hmm. today on this podcast about this thing. And then <coughs> figuring out what can I do about this issue. And to be <coughs> honest, it wasn't that, to be honest, it was so overwhelming to the point that I didn't want to know more about this issue. I am a mom of two young girls, and so just thinking about other kids being sexually abused and bought and sold in the sex trade was very horrifying to me, and it was very depressing. And so a lot of people like me uh, would just turn away, and I thought that if I just didn't think about this issue anymore, it would just go away, out of sight, out of mind. And I did that for a long time, but but after I learned about it, I couldn't unlearn what I knew anymore. Yeah. And what what kind of numbers we're talking here in Minnesota? So um, there was a research that- Or, or in the mid Midwest. Yeah, so there was a research study that was done um, early on too. In about 2011, I would say, the Minnesota Women's Foundation um, was doing research about how big of a problem this was in Minnesota, mostly around girls being sexually exploited. And in that research, they found that on any given month, um, there are about 214 girls that are being sold online. And that doesn't include street or gang-affiliated prostitution. That's just internet services and escort services. So when we're talking about girls, we're talking about underage girls. And also that these girls are being exploited multiple times a night. So they're being bought and used for sexual purposes by adult men, usually, um, on average of like 10 to 14 times a night. Now, this is multiple perpetrators, um, multiple times a night, multiple days of the week. And so the amount of trauma and activity that's happening to these girls is is really a lot mm -hmm. for anyone to handle. Does uh, Umstead County here in Rochester, mm -hmm. do, do they have a special task unit that address the, that yeah. kind of problem? So when I started Mission 21, um, there wasn't a lot of education around this issue. And one of the first things that we had to do was educate our community and do a lot of community awareness. So we started doing that. We started doing uh, a lot of free 
events where we would invite people in the community to come and, and learn about this issue. And another thing that we did was we started meeting with law enforcement and our county attorney and talked to them about what this looked like. And although they both of those agencies were open to the conversation, they also didn't really understand how that this was actually happening because they felt that they they should have known about it. And there was a misunderstanding of what sex trafficking is. And so a lot of the time, sex trafficking looks like prostitution. And a lot of people believe that prostitution is a choice. And really, it's a lack of choices. And in, in order to be kind of considered a sex trafficking victim, you have to be able to prove that you have been forced, coerced, or uh, tricked into prostitution or or any other parts of the sex trade so pornography or strip clubs or any of those types of things and so um i started the conversation and actually uh started inviting people to what we what is now called the uh, olmstead county human trafficking task force um and now it's being led by one of our victim services advocate who's our regional navigator her name is Laura Sutherland out of victim services and you know a few years ago I just kind of I saw that those systems really needed leadership from within those systems to really um, do mm-hmm. anything you know get to, a champion or, right yeah, right and so I just advocate. right so I just handed over that that leadership to victim services and I, I, I serve a, a part of that task force still and we also have a Minnesota human trafficking task force as well okay. which is a statewide bigger where all of the task force from all over the, the state come together quarterly and we talk about issues and how each city or each county is dealing with this issue of sex trafficking and not just sex trafficking but human trafficking so mm-hmm. it would it would include labor trafficking as well. So is Mission 21 a chapter of uh, another bigger organization, or, or you started it? How, how Mission 21 came out to yeah. what so, it is today? So in 2010, after you know realizing what the need was, we all, I realized that there wasn't services, especially in southern Minnesota, that were specific to this population. And instead of replicating services up in the cities that were working with older teens or mostly adult women, I wanted to fill the gap. So we have a a community partner in St. Paul who was working with girls at that time, 16 and up, but the average age of entry is 12 to 14. And so when I was talking to their founder, she said, Stephanie, the girls are getting younger and younger that are walking into my program and I don't have anything for them. And so I, uh, so we created Mission 21 and it was to address the gap in services. So we were going to work with under 16 at that time mm-hmm. and kind of see what the needs were. How, how, how did that look like? I mean, you yeah. started something from the ground up. That's right. A lot of people ask me that too because I don't have, I am, I am a community member. You know, mm-hmm. I am just a willing vessel is what I always say to people. And I don't have a background in social work or mm-hmm. psychology and all those types of things. And so I really what happened was I, I formed a team of 10 like-minded, um, kind, compassionate people mm-hmm. who all had different giftings and degrees. And I, I, I had them commit to be a part of this task force for me, a 90-day task force, where they would commit to meet with me for three months, and we would talk about what this organization needed to be. Who were we going to serve? When were we going to do it? And how were we going to do it? And at the end of those 90 days, what we came up with was a booklet. It was called our 180-day implementation plan. Okay. And the idea behind this this booklet uh, kind of a thing was that I would be able to hand this to anybody who was willing, right, mm-hmm. and say, here, start Mission 21. And, and what, what Mission 21 means? So uh, in one of our task force meetings when we were, we were trying to figure out what our mission and our vision statement was going to be, and so we were all kind of um, brainstorming and things, and we didn't have a name yet. And uh, we are a uh, we are a faith based organization. And one of the uh, task force members, he said, you know, I was thinking about 
you know, what we're going to do today, our mission and our vision statement. And I was in prayer and he opened up the Bible. So Mission 21 comes from a Bible verse called Revelation 21. And and what it says in Revelation 21, it says, and he will wipe away all their tears and there will be no more crying, mourning, dying or pain for the old order of things has gone away. And we opened our vision and mission statement meeting with that verse. And then he says, <coughs> so maybe for now we can just call it like something like Mission 21 because it's like Revelation 21 yeah. or whatever. Nice. Because we didn't know what we were calling ourselves. We just kept calling ourselves that, not really thinking that that was going to be our actual name. But, you know, we needed something to call us while yeah. we were meeting. And and then at the end of it all, when we were supposed to register, we uh, were like, well, we kind of like Mission 21. Let's stick with that. So that's where that comes from. And and it kind of, um, you know, we although we don't, we're very transparent with us being a faith-based organization, um, it kind of gives us that, you know, people always ask, where does Mission 21 come from? So we get to share a little bit of who we are through through our name, too. So, um, and it's become a, a household name, I think, for, for a lot of our community because, um, we just have a great community who has really uh, come behind us and supported us and stood beside us in, in a lot of the fights throughout the last six yeah. years. And you were mentioned to me before we started the show um, that you were doing a presentation in Austin. What area mm-hmm. do you guys cover out, outside of Rochester, Minnesota? Yeah, so we, uh, we are housed in Rochester, Minnesota, but we are a statewide organization we because we're in rochester though we tend to have a lot of our our presence in southeast minnesota Mm -hmm. and so the girls that are being referred to our program come from all over the state but mostly the surrounding counties and what 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 services do you offer in this case sure you guys call uh these girls victims or clients so so the girls, uh, we definitely will have to identify them as survivors. Okay. I mean, even when they were being victimized in this crime, they were surviving that whole time. So we, um, so these survivors that are, are referred to our program, they get a couple of different options that we offer. Mission 21, we, we do a lot of community education and, and professional training now, but we also do survivor support groups and we are specific to this population only and so that's very uh, unique to our area so we get referrals um, for young people that are looking to be around other people who have experienced the same thing and and then we also so you talk get about referrals from Iowa too. Um, you know, we haven't had any referrals from outside of the state. Okay, it actually, it's been within the state. Yep, and the girls they range anywhere from you know 13 to 18 years old. The youngest we've had has been nine years old, a, a victim from Guatemala, and um, but all of the girls mostly have been from um, our American citizens, American-born mm-hmm. girls. Um, who are a part of our community. And so they, they get connected to a youth advocate and go to they can go to a survivor support group or they can do one-on-one kind of meetings too with their youth advocate. We do some at-risk prevention programs. Uh, we're in some of the high schools, uh, mostly the charter schools and um, alternative learning schools. Uh, we go to group homes where at-risk kids You do presentations, at. like awareness? Yep, we how do. How it looks like? Mm-hmm. So we do a six-week presentation, or we can do it in an all-day kind of a thing. Or for some of the kids who are maybe ending up in juvenile detention who are at very high risk of being um, victimized through the mm-hmm. sex trade, we, we don't know if we're going to see them the next day. So we might... Uh, just have about an hour with them. So we try to educate them as much we can in one hour so that we can try to reduce their risk of being victimized. And um, we also do, um, we're trying to do a monthly class at the public library too. And because all kids are vulnerable to being enticed on the internet by predators. And so even those kids that maybe are coming from well-to-do families and have support and all that kind of stuff, you know, they're still vulnerable to being impressionable or trusting. Our kids are so trusting of -hmm. of complete strangers online all the time. So we want to let them know, what does a trafficker what is their script? What are they going to say to you online? And those are some red flags. And when they say these things, what? how are you going to respond? And then also, 
What if you get yourself into a situation that you thought you can handle and then now it's completely out of control and dangerous? Who do you call for help? Mm -hmm. So those are the types of things that we're trying to teach adolescents right now because their whole world is online and they meet so many people that parents sometimes can't keep up with. So we do, um, and we also, one of the exciting things Mission 21 has done is we're one of the first organizations in the whole country to do specialized foster care for sexually exploited youth. What does that mean? Um, so we recognize that the ki- not all kids who are victimized in this way have to be taken out of their home, but those who have um, have are even more vulnerable within the system in, in a child protection system to be recruited into the sex trade by traffickers, and also that once they were placed in foster care the family wasn't really aware of this issue and so they weren't fully meeting the needs of these survivors and so it was very difficult for survivors to really do well in these homes so what we did was we we saw what those issues and barriers were and we created a foster care model specifically for sexually exploited youth i'm sorry and what that included was training our foster families to understand this population better, understand what type of trauma they've been through, mm-hmm. um, what their behaviors are going to look like, and why. what are their triggers, and how can we help these kids um, really recover from what well, most of them have been diagnosed with co- uh, complex PTSD, post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress disorder. And so educating our parents, but not only that, we also were we're seeing that once the kids, you know, were reunited with their families, which is a huge push for Minnesota, is is reunification of families. That their biological families weren't aware either, and so when a kid would go home, even though they might have learned a lot of good skills in therapy or they had a good routine in their foster care home, they would go back to their old environment and they would have to go back to the and way that they used to some. survive. So so we were seeing a lot of the kids going in and out, back, forth, you know, through mm-hmm. group homes, foster care, family, you know, and, and we're like, we gotta do this better. And one of our early uh, clients that we were referred, she was 14 at the time, she had been in about, seven different placements within one year period. Wow. And it's not healthy for a kid to move around that much. And so we said, this has to be done better. This could be done better. And so that's what we do now, too, is um, we we try to identify already licensed foster families who are willing to take in these kids. And foster families are already taking in kids with multiple different types of trauma. So let's just train them on this type of trauma so that they can be better equipped, have more tools. Mm -hmm. And then also um, identify new families too, because we have a, and I don't think this is a Minnesota issue, this is a whole countrywide issue, there's just a shortage of foster care parents, good ones, you know? And so we try to identify those. But we're also um, partnering up with The Link here in Rochester with, it's a Lutheran Social Services program, The Link, and they've been working a lot with homeless youth in the area for a long time. They do a lot of homeless outreach, homeless youth outreach, and they have a new program that's a host home program. So this is a program um, that extends up to the age of 24. So young people who are experiencing homelessness in Rochester um, can, if they're ready for change, if they're ready to do some work, they can sign up with the link and the link will find them a host home. Male and female. Yes, male and female. Um, and they'll find them a host home and they'll work with them with independent living skills and trying to get them um, out on their own too. But in the, in the meantime, you know, how much can you do for yourself if you don't know where you're going to sleep at night? Yeah. And so we're really trying to get our community to, if, if they're open to, you know, uh, can you be a host home for these young people? And some of the girls that are in our program are just amazing yeah, resilient just in survival mode yeah yeah think ahead yeah and but you know once they get into a stable place where they can work on things and they want to change you know they do well i mean a lot of the girls that um have been in our program are graduating on time and they have 
the same dreams as other young kids that are graduating that you know they want to mm-hmm. get their own place or they want to get a good job or they want to go to college but being an adult is hard so uh you know these host homes are a huge uh, help for them because they can be in a stable environment and, and then through they can who just... through who somebody who's listening would like to mm-hmm. learn about this or to become a host home right. if there is a certification or how yeah how the, what is the process well of course we want to make sure that our families are going to be safe and that they're ready to have people in their homes and so it would be um, a process that they go through through the link and then we use the link as one of those resources for our girls and uh, what the link requires is that you would take a couple of courses on how to host uh, young kids Mm -hmm. and how to support them and there's of course a background checks that they have to pass and all those types of things and then not only do they as the family every person in their family have to pass a background check but they do a home inspection as well and Mm so we try as mission 21 if there's a family that is very serious about wanting to do this if they're kind of looking at this and saying this is something that I'm willing to do, but maybe my my home might need some repairs. We would love to to help you with those things too. You know, if if you need a window replaced or something, maybe we can talk about how can we mm-hmm. help you, uh, you know, fix that window or whatever it, the needs are. So, um, so definitely, if if your listeners are interested, they can. Uh, surely go to our website and, Which and contact us. It's uh, mission21mn.org. Or they can call us at 507-208-4600. And they could uh, ask us about how they can get further Do involved in that. Do you guys have a Facebook page or Twitter where people can learn about events? or how do, What kind yes. of events? Because I've seen sometimes events that you guys put up or talks. Mm-hmm. Where can people find out or stay tuned yeah. about We are very active on Facebook, actually. Um, So definitely, if you're on Facebook, check us out, Mission 21 on Facebook. And then uh, we have an Instagram account that we're pretty active in. Uh, We're not as good and savvy at Twitter as you are, Miguel. So maybe you can give us some pointers on how to do that. I'll help you out. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we're very active on Facebook. We do a lot of different talks, different age groups, too. We also actually have a youth awareness team as well so this okay. is youth teaching other youth about sex trafficking Mentoring, yeah yeah so this is really good so we saw uh, there was a couple of uh, young girls in the, in the high schools who would come to our talks and they said you know a lot of these talks are really aimed at adults not at us and so can we do like a youth oh, peer-to-peer that's yeah peer-to-peer way. education and i thought you girls are awesome and yes you can so that's what the girls are doing and they they formed a a chapter of Mission 21 called TASRA. So it's Teens that's Against Slavery. High schools, yeah, right? yeah. So uh, these two girls are um, at Century High School right now, and they're trying to recruit more more kids to join their team so that they can. And then so what they're doing, uh, they're going to be doing um, some events in the library throughout the year. So check that out at the mm-hmm. library, at the Teenscape. Rochester, Minnesota at, Library, Public Library in downtown. Yes, that's right. And then um, I'll just throw out, we partner with the uh, Sisters of St. Francis and we do a lot of there's a an event that's coming up soon and i'll have to get that date for yep. you for your audience but um it is it's going to be a talk about male sex trafficking mm-hmm. um and how boys are also exploited in the sex trade and we'll have a male survivor um that's going to be talking to us um that day so it'll be up at, at cc heights and in these types of events there we schedule them throughout the year okay. uh, we just had a a movie that was shown at Cinemagic called The Abolitionist, uh, and we we were there, uh, kind of, because after you after you learn about this topic, not everyone is called to create a nonprofit like I was, you know, not everyone can do that, but I think that once people learn about how many kids are being bought and sold in the sex trade, that they want to do something about it. But if we don't give them an action plan Mm -hmm. or some action steps to take, it becomes too overwhelming and then you don't do anything at all. So we we wanted to be present during these movie showings of this issue so that when people leave that theater after seeing all these things, that they would be connected to their local anti-trafficking agency. Okay. And if we have people outside of Minnesota that are listening to your podcast, I would encourage them to 
to Google your local anti-trafficking service provider and to support them, you know, because that's that's what's happening in your own backyard. Yeah. And it's happening in every single state. Small town. Yeah. Every everywhere. Um, It's not a big city issue. And um, so I would encourage them to do that. Um, So for also, you know, individuals sometimes want to help. But there's different ways, capacities that you can help. Uh, what about, uh, do you guys have fundraising that people can come and also help that way? Yes, we would you absolutely. have anything coming up? Yeah, we would absolutely love for people, if, if you are looking to volunteer um, with Mission 21, we could use more people on our fundraising team. And we're a fun group of people that mm-hmm. kind of get together. We try to be as creative as possible to reach multiple different audiences. So we would appreciate a diverse amount of people in our fundraising team um we right now we don't have anything um in action i know we have Mm -hmm. a big fundraising event that we want to do towards the end of summer and so we'll stay tuned for that um but we really could use more community members to come and help us make that event really successful Uh, we have uh we have a, a guy in Austin, actually, his name is Dr. Kelly Nesvold, and he's a chiropractor there, and he's also an amazing athlete, and he has committed to do a 300-mile triathlon wow. to raise money for Mission 21 and an uh, a organization in Nepal, India, called Out of Ashes. And so 300 miles, Miguel, that is insane. Even driving, it feels right. tired. <laughs> so, right. Imagine. Driving 300 miles. Yeah. Well, he, he's actually, he's going to be um, swimming five miles, and he's going to be bike. After that, he'll be getting on a bike and biking mm-hmm. um, for a large portion of that, over 200 miles, and then he'll be finishing off with a, right, with a run. Wow. And uh, he is already, uh, throughout the year, has been raising money uh, for this event, but that'll be in August that he'll be doing that. Um, he'll be running um, from the cities down to, to Austin, and, and so that's incredible. And we, you know, we have community members like that that have just said well we want to raise money for you and we love those you know we love mm-hmm. those community members because then that that leaves us a chance to do the work that we were called to do mm-hmm. you know i'm not a fundraiser although i sh- i have to be because uh, as the executive director yeah. but my gifting is in connecting with the survivors that are in our program so whenever our community can come and support us in that way i just love that the other way and that you, you've been a nonprofit. That's where your budget comes out, mostly the fundraising, correct? Right, and, and we're mostly privately funded. So we do we do not go for those state grants or big federal grants. Um, we're, we're kind of a smaller nonprofit, too, so some of those bigger grants require a lot of management, correct. and we don't have the capacity to manage those grants. So I tend not to go for those, but um, we do uh, some private foundations have funded us, but mostly our community has been good right. about you know, sustaining us throughout mm-hmm. the years. So I really appreciate that about our community. Another way, though, too, is that if if you maybe you don't have as many resources to to donate in monetarily in that way, um, but you know, through our survivor groups, one of the most important things we do is that we eat together. So maybe you could um, put in a little extra food that day so that we could you know maybe sponsor a mm-hmm. meal for our group. So you might be making pizza for your family that night. Yeah. Can you make an extra one for our girls for a survivor mm-hmm. group that night? Or whatever that that looks like for you. We've had um, groups throughout the years who... So you guys um, have a safe home where... Yeah, we have an advocacy center. It's hidden in plain sight here in mm-hmm. Rochester, so the, the address is undisclosed, but... Well, they you know, can get in touch with you. Right. So they get in touch with us. And, you know, um, if they're bringing a meal, of course, we'll mm-hmm. let them know where we are and stuff like that. So that's always something that the girls really appreciate right. is like a home cooked meal. Because a lot of them are uh, are not eating together with their families very often. And so that that time that they get is sometimes the only time that they sit together with other people to eat. And it's very special. So um, there's that. And, and then also... Um, you know, sometimes we need people who are um, can can provide transportation for some of our girls, especially when the girls are living outside of Rochester City limits. Um, if you live in Austin or Byron or somewhere else, and these girls are living there, they want to come to group. You know, maybe you can um, help them with yeah. giving them a ride to group. How <laughs> when a survivor 
where you guys work with some of the survivors, mm -hmm. how the the school situation works? Do they do you guys try to keep it in the same school or is whatever the survivor prefer or how how that works? How the um, yeah the county what would they suggest? So I. I think that it's it's a case-by-case -case scenario. There's so many different elements that we have to take into consideration with kids when they're being taken out of a home. But I think the county here, especially Olmsted County, is really, really good about keeping a kid stable. in their community and okay. trying to keep everything as stable as possible, right? So if it's safe to keep the kid in their school, then we're going to try to do that as much as possible. It's safe to keep them in their own neighborhood or... Um, you know, in their community as much as possible, we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's not always possible. And not all kids need to be taken out of their home. And that's what I think, Miguel, is one of the things that most shocked me, too, about the situation. When I started, I thought that all these kids, all these victims were going to be homeless kids, abandoned kids, neglected kids, abused kids. And so many of them come from great homes mm -hmm. with great parents who love them. Um, and their family life very much looks like my family life. And, and, you know, and we think that we're protecting our kids from all these horrible things because we're, we're working hard and we're providing and giving them the things that they need and taking them to school. But it's so easy for them to fall into this trap that these, because these traffickers, Miguel, this is their this is their job 24 hours a day. You know, they can stay online and solicit 100 kids in one day, and all they need is that one kid mm -hmm. to say, to respond back to their message on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat. Yeah. Traffickers are on these social media things all the time, and sometimes us as parents, as, especially when we get older, we are not keeping up with all the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, our kids are like super savvy at like creating multiple accounts and blocking their parents and yeah. being, you know. And these guys, they just what they do is they figure out what is missing from that this kid's life, and even if let's say a father is present, physically present in the life of his daughter, he might not be emotionally present, you know. He might be working really long hours, Yeah. but you feel good because you're providing. You know, moms and dads, we're, we have, uh, you know, multiple parents working in the families now. And, and we feel good because we're working and we're providing and we have a great home and all that kind of stuff, but the kid just wants your attention. And if they're not getting that attention from the adults in their life that care and want to keep them safe, then here comes this guy online yeah. and says, hey, I'll spend time with you. You're pretty. Let's go out. I'll buy you this. I would, I would love to spend all day with you. I don't have to go anywhere. And so this is what those girls and boys are, are really falling trap mm -hmm. into, you know. And that's just how easy it, it happens. And... Um, in traffickers, they also have a way of trying to isolate kids from the people that love them. So they'll start to, to say, oh, you don't have to listen to your parents or your parents are being yeah. messed up, you know. And, and so they start to, to form this wedge between them to, and then also from their friends. So then all of a sudden, the kid is just completely reliant on this relationship with this person because all of her other relationships and friendships um, have been damaged be in some way. Feel empty. Yeah. So he creates this uh, codependency mm -hmm. on them. And there's also a, 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 a love that forms too. So this is, this is called, uh, this is during a grooming period and do, during a dating period. Mm -hmm. So a trafficker isn't going to go up to uh, a young person and say, Hey, I'm a pimp and I, and you're going to be my prostitute today, you know, cause that's not going to work probably yeah. very well. Um, he's going to come at it as I'm, I'm your boy. I can be a boyfriend to you. And not only can I be a boyfriend to you, but I can be a father figure to you. And that's why, I don't know if you notice this, but in pop culture too, uh, pimps and in the pimp culture, they're mm -hmm. also called daddies. Oh, I see. Right? They, they form this, this really figure, twisted yeah. identity towards them where you need to call me daddy 
you know, and and even and, and kind of like in gang culture too, um, they form these families too, and so it's called the family. You're supporting the family mm-hmm. when you're in this trade, and the other women that are in the family are called your wives or your sisters, you know, and so your wife in laws, your sisters in laws, and and so they create this family unit that's just very violent and perverse. Um, and there's really no physical chains that are keeping you in this family of sex trafficking, but there's all these mental chains that are keeping you there. So there's shame, there's um, fear, and there's a lot of violence that goes and into it. And they're belonging it. to something. Right, and part, just know. a lot of lot of threats to the traffickers that have been arrested and charged and, and sentenced here in Olmstead County have histories of uh, just a tremendous amount of violence towards these women and girls. And things from not just, you know, beatings and punching and, and kicks, but, you know, waterboarding and, and starving, isolation, putting them in cages, whipping them with wires. I mean, it is an intense, Things intense you wouldn't think violence. this happening in, in, in Rochester. Yeah, and, that's right. real. And um, and then also that threat of if if you don't do this for me, I'm going to hurt your family. I know where your little sister lives or I'm going to kill your parents. And these girls, they believe it because they've seen this person do so many violent things to other people already, to the other women that they're explaining or girls are explaining, that they do believe that that's actually it's what's going to happen. For them. So, of course, they take it upon themselves to try to protect their the people that they love. And um, we had, um, there's a survivor, there's a lot of survivors that I know who... And um, also substance, right? Drugs, they, they yes. get hooked on. And yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes the girls get hooked on and boys get hooked on drugs as a form of coping, too, mm-hmm. though. Um, so there are some pimps that might force drug use uh, in order for the girls to comply with certain things. But a lot of pimps would say, too, that they don't want an addicted girl because then the drug becomes their pimp. They're right. loyal to the drug and not them. So when they make the money, they go to the, the dope man, you know, instead of bringing it back to him. But um, but some of the girls, they get addicted uh, to cope and to also perform. So you see, you see girls and, and boys who might be taking some sort of an upper, like um, – like meth or crack or something mm-hmm. to stay up all night so that they can um, meet a quota that the trafficker has put on them. And then in the day, they might be self-medicating with marijuana or alcohol so that they can sleep. And they would choose sleep over food. And so we see a lot of malnourished kids mm-hmm. um, and kids who have uh, been so neglected that you know their dental hygiene or... Um, is now suffering too. So we have a lot of physical, medical things that are happening with the kids. And then on top of that, we have all the mental health things that are happening with trauma and how that affects them. So, um, yeah, I think that, that also, I mean, for some women survivors who, who left the life when they were adults they would say that being on drugs was definitely a way for them to just cope with what has happened to them because it's just if they Mm -hmm. don't have professionals helping with them then you know alcohol will so it's a it's a very um very tragic thing that's happening and one of the things that we haven't talked about yet miguel is the demand in rochester and in minnesota Mm -hmm. and in every business there has to be a demand yeah for a product, and so the product being the kids that are being sold in the sex trade, and then the demand being the buyers that are buying the kids. And years ago, before, and obviously this doesn't happen on the public. You don't see it. <clears throat> no, in in Rochester too. Uh, this is different in other cities, but in Rochester, we we're very conservative, kind of a clean city, community, kind of yeah. you know we kind of a nice community here, and so we don't have a track like a street yeah. that prostitution is being done at, you know, like um, before the internet. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of street Yeah, but now social media is... Right. And most, and most uh, traffickers and, and kids that are being sold are being sold online. And so um, 
they would put a post an ad online and, and people know where those ads are and they you know go in their lunch break and they look for a girl that they want they can order it as easily and as fast as they could a pizza if they mm-hmm. wanted to and um well, and it's you, more anonymous they yeah. can stay safe that way what would you say to parents who say oh no no I, i'm not into social media i don't that's the kids i, I don't get into social media because i had experience where I was conducting kind of like a survey and asking adults, what social media do you prefer? And I got a lot of the, you know, there's people who, I don't want to say followers, but you know, you go with technology and you try to keep up. But then I was encountering a lot of parents who said like, no, 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 that's just the kids. No, I don't get into that. And then like you mentioned, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard because then you start being disconnected with your kids. That's right. You, so I think, I think although I, I understand that the older we get, the harder it is for us yeah. to pick up new new ideas and things skills, and stuff, yeah. that if we truly want to protect our kids from predators, we have to know what they're doing online and we have to understand online. And there's so many ways that you can learn. I mean, if you, if you just Google, how do I protect my kids online? There's mm-hmm. going to be a ton of different resources that come up. So all you really need to do is take the time to read how to do it. And, and I'm not saying that you need to update your no. Instagram account every day, but create an Instagram account and friend your kids on it and see who they're talking to. Talk to your kids. Be open and honest about it in an age-appropriate way and talk to them about um, how if they make a mistake, if your kids make a mistake and they're in a situation that's scary and that they can come to you and it's going to be safe that you're not going to I mean you you know you want to be a parent and not their friend you have to be a parent first but that it's a, it's safe for them to come to you when they're in trouble and I think a lot of kids are just really scared to, when they mess up they're scared to come to their parents because they're scared of the consequence mm-hmm. but I try to tell my my daughters now that they're older too and and they're starting to go on the internet more and more that there is nothing that they could do it doesn't matter how big of a mistake or if they completely deliberately um, did what I told them not to do, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to protect them. And their safety is most important. It doesn't matter if they messed mm-hmm. up, you know. And so we have to we have to talk to our kids about that. And I think with other uh, – another thing, too, Miguel, when you said that, is that there's other cultures that are being affected with it, too. And I think it's even harder for them to get – to like learn about the social media thing. So mm-hmm. like in the Hispanic, like Latino community or the Somali community, which we have a lot of Sudanese community, you know, mm-hmm. all these different communities in our, in our state, even like those parents, those kids are being targeted too, because yeah. and traffickers know that their parents are not on social media. These are the things that make kids more vulnerable when, when their parents aren't paying attention. That's who they're going to target. Kids who are well-connected, like traffickers are not going to go, most likely, they probably won't go and target the kid who is a part of all the different clubs at school, who's like president of the student council, mm-hmm. because they see they have a huge support network and they people around after them. after the disenfranchised. Right. They'll go after that kid who like is kind of sitting on her own, sitting on his own on the street, you know, doesn't have a lot of friends. You know, their parents might not be at home a lot. That's who they're going to go target because yeah. they don't have that support. So I, I'd say parents definitely. And if you know a parent, if you are kind of more tech savvy and you and you see other parents that aren't, talk to them about that too. Bring them that article that you read to and say, here's how you start a, your own Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Here's how you keep Show track. Show me, teach me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell the yeah. Kid. and just say, like, I'm just doing this because, you know, your kids are valuable too. We need to, you know, it takes a village to raise kids, yeah. you know. So we need to, as a community, yeah. come around and look out for one another. So question a little bit out of the topic. You moved from the southwest, right? How, Las Vegas, Nevada. Las yeah. Vegas. How... How the your experience moving to the Midwest or here to Southeast Minnesota has been? Well, oh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, well, I moved here from Las Vegas. I was born and raised in Las Vegas. Moved here about nine years ago with my husband, and uh, my husband Matt was born and raised in Rochester. Um, 
but he moved out to Las Vegas. That's where we met when he was a kid. So moving out from somewhere like Las Vegas where it was very diverse. How how is the community? How is the... Is the... It was a culture shock. The people shock. Is in, in and out? <laughs> I mean, do people move a lot? I mean, come, in Las I Vegas? Guess, yeah, I it's very rare to see a Las Vegas native, actually, in Las Vegas. We have a lot of people moving into Las Vegas. So you uh, were a native. I was right? native, yeah. I was uh, native there. So very, very uh, rare to bump into someone who was native in Las Vegas. Um, a really unique community in Las Vegas. The sex trade is very normalized there. So even growing up, I mean, there's strip clubs yeah. everywhere. I mean, there's it, prostitution is not legal in Las Vegas, but it is happening there a lot. Mm-hmm. But so I would see the sex trade, and it was just something that I thought before I started Mission Twenty One that it was just a choice, you know. But there's gambling, and we don't have that here in the yeah. Midwest. And there's all these different well, the things. Casinos, but the no, casinos, that scale. Yeah. I think the yeah. biggest culture shock, though, was uh, the lack of diversity. Okay. In in Rochester, it was really hard for me when I moved here um, to not be surrounded by people who looked like me because I'm Hispanic. Mm-hmm. For your listeners there, so um, who didn't speak my language a lot, and then uh, my first language, which is Spanish, and then um, and just that. I mean, we have a lot of different communities, but we're very much the minority. And so in Las Vegas, it's just this huge melting pot. And everyone, I think that probably white American people are the minority, I would say, probably. And um, so that was a huge culture shock. And I have to say, it was a little, I was a little depressed when I first moved here. I had to go up to the cities a lot and just just to be around different people. Did you move in the middle of the winter or what? No, I moved in July. I moved in July, and I think maybe it was because I wasn't com- uh, I wasn't um, intentional about being a part of those communities. Because in Las Vegas, no matter what neighborhood you live in, there's just people of different cultures all around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and everywhere you go, it's just if you you would if you were white, you would be the minority. My husband is a white, white American, so. He would be all of his mm-hmm. friends growing up were Hispanic, so moving here away from my Hispanic family, more towards my my white American family who I love a lot. Um, it was just different. So now I I actually have to go out of my way to be around my race and my yeah. my culture, uh, where before I was just everywhere I went. So it was something that you know, and and with in regards to sex trafficking, sex trafficking looks different in different cultures too. So one of my one of my dreams and one of my long, kind of my long-term goals is also to bring this, this um, education and awareness to the Latino community mm-hmm. um, so that they could be aware. Because it looks different for yeah. them. So, um, but it is something that I know is happening in, in different ways. And not only with sex trafficking, but also labor trafficking. So trying to empower um, different communities to know what their rights are and, mm-hmm. and so that they won't be taken advantage of. Okay. Oh, bueno. Podríamos compartir algo en español rápido por si hay alguien que nos escucha. Okay. Algo de Misión 21, algo así rápido. Sí. Um, Mission 21 es una organización que, que damos servicios para las personas que han, han sido explotadas sexualmente en los Estados Unidos. Um, damos servicios más para los menores de edad, um, de los 18 años. Y si necesitan ayuda o si necesitan educación en este en este um, este tópico de, de la explotación sexual de menores um, pueden pueden llamar al número 507-208-4600 y pregunten por Stephanie Holt y o pueden me, visitar tu página pueden visitar mi página en Facebook y también se llama um, Misión 21 uh-huh. Misión 21 21, 21 yeah. y, y también tenemos um, Mission 21 MN punto ORG. ORG, sí. Gracias, Miguel. Y um, me gustaría ya uh, hablar con, con ustedes de, de esta, esta situación porque también... Um, Ocurre mucho porque hay mucho tráfico también de personas y si hay menores. Sí. ¿Cuánta gente no habrá en esta situación que o no lo sabemos o... O muchas veces los papás están trabajando muchas horas y no están al, al cuidado de los niños, entonces sí. es, es muy peligroso. 
Sí, y necesitamos educar a toda la gente. Ok. Gracias. Para cualquier información, por favor, contáctenos en nuestra página de Facebook y en la página de Stephanie que se llama Misión 21 o Misión 21. En, vamos a poner la información aquí al final del show donde pueden recibir más información. Ok, when we're back. <laughs> Thanks, Miguel. So, yeah, that was our Spanglish edition. So, anything else? Anything there is on the calendar? Coming up, uh, volunteers, you already mentioned, they can come to mission21.org. Mm -hmm. Or That's right. Yep, they can... Um, Yeah, if you're on Facebook, definitely go on Facebook. We're definitely very active there. And if you want to volunteer, you know, send us a quick email. You can mm -hmm. email us at info at mission21mn.org. Tell me a little bit about yourself, and um, we can get together, and we can see where, you know, what is your time commitment? You know, mm -hmm. what does your time look like, and what are your giftings? Because you can bring, you know, some people think that um, they might not have anything to offer, but we all have something to offer. Mm -hmm. And so um, our organization is very community-based, so we'd love to see more people uh, come out and help. All right. So, uh, great. This weekend, so we're recording this on Thursday. Man, I, I, I'm so <laughs> out of this world. Anyways, uh, Thursday, this Saturday, You have something going on this Saturday? Guess what? Uh, at the fairgrounds, the people from the Croning, Croning Home, yeah. they're having a barbecue and blues festival. So everybody who's listening to this, go check it out. They were here or guests last episode. And they're having a barbecue and a blues festival. Uh, and it's a fundraising, $10. It's great. You get music and food. Oh, so great. yeah, come check it out. Uh, the fairgrounds. Also, come to our website, smartridenetwork.net, and you can get information more about We're going to be putting the links to Mission 21 if you're going to get involved. Also, we're going to have information there about the, the Blues Festival coming up this Saturday. That's on episode 17. And uh, if you have any idea, if you want to pin your information in our community board, Contact us and we'll make sure we help you out to spread the information. And um, any idea that you guys have, please send us a tweet at Community Board on Twitter. On Facebook, also you can find us under Community Board. And iTunes, you can find us under Community Board Podcast. On SoundCloud, also Community Board Podcast. You can get all your shows or shows there. Uh, please... Uh, sub subscribe and uh, Stephanie something else you want to share I just uh, want to say thank you so much for um, having me here and uh, being a part no? of this movement now too of spreading awareness yeah. now you are now officially an abolitionist in the movement oh great I've, oh, I'm on her so alright man everybody who's listening now you know uh, give us a tune Uh, stay tuned, give us a like, follow us, retweet or tweets. Please help us spread this information about Mission 21. And stay tuned. 